welcome, or velkommen, as we would say in Norwegian, to The Nordics Unveiled. I am Ernest Elbjørg-Hemsing, and I hope you will join my exploration of Nordic. From mythology and folk traditions to lyrical, melancholic, and often cautiously optimistic are only a few characters of Nordic. In a series of episodes, I will be joined by inspiring guests trying to break a few stereotypes and answer the question of what is typically Nordic? To learn more about conversations and guests, subscribe to The Nordics Unveiled on your favorite podcast provider or follow me on my Instagram, Facebook or Twitter account. This is The Nordics Unveiled. Thank you for joining me in the new episode of The Nordics Unveiled. My guest today is one of the most exciting female composers of the younger generation, the bold and charismatic composer Maja Solveig-Hjelstrup-Ratje. She is most definitely a frontrunner when it comes to the musical avant-garde, known for stark contrast and nuanced balances. Maya is celebrated and awarded with prizes both in Scandinavia and abroad, including the Edward Prize and UNESCO Honor, and a regularly commissioned composer by prestigious orchestras and festivals. Join us on today's journey of the Nordics Unveiled. Thank you so much for taking time to join me, Maya. Um, your works, they stand out in such a distinctive way to me. And I feel like you never fit into one box. And that's so exciting. Um, I really would like to first just dive directly into it and ask you, what does it mean to you to be a Norwegian composer? Do you label yourself as Norwegian? Is wow. that something you're concerned about? Uh, yeah, I think so. Hmm? Actually, more and more. When I was a student, I was very, uh, you know, aware of being international mm. or being a part of the avant-garde scene that has no boundaries and all of that. Uh, but I think, I think our roots or my roots are so grounded in uh, in the landscape and in the nature and uh, what Norway has uh, given me since I was born here and I grew up here. So um it's uh, definitely something I can um, relate to being a Norwegian composer. It doesn't mm. feel strange to say that. But well, uh, I tried I to avoid it <laughs> deliberately when I was much younger, but now I feel fine with it. So what changed? Mm. Oh, just getting older and more confident and not so afraid of uh, you know not being correct or <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> when you're an international avant-garde composer then. You are, of course, a part of a huge network, but at the same time, you have your roots, and uh, you can't change that. It's not—it's uh, not something you can run away from, in um, both in good ways and in bad ways. So you, you have to, uh, yeah, it can be a friction in it as well. You mm -hmm. know, you have to deal with the with the inheritance that you got. I mean, how do I relate to to my Norwegian inheritance? And and I never thought I made. Uh, typically Norwegian sounding music, whether I was improvising or uh, composing music for uh, classical musicians. But uh, people abroad, and I mean, you can read uh, receptions and reviews and you can find people thinking that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you experience that a lot, but you're playing that it's uh, perceived as typical Norwegian or not. Not necessarily playing part, but they do very often link it to Norway. And I'm very happy about it because I think it's such a, it's, it's so much identity. But I think it's just, what I'm really curious to know is that when you say that uh, you want, you were a big part of the international avant-garde, 
how did other composers think about you? Do they th label you also as Norwegian? And did that have something to do with sound? Or was it more you're from that country? Hmm. Um, if I uh, think about how I'm perceived among colleagues, maybe not that typical in Norwegian, as, or that uh, um, the language of your music, uh, if it's clearly based on uh, the culture that you are coming from, then it becomes a part of it. If you, for example, make music based upon folk music, mm -hmm. where, which you have been brought up with, and you can also do that. Many composers do that. I mean, just look at the classical tradition, <laughs> especially also in the Western, Western uh, part of the classical music scene, but also in the new avant-garde music from uh, from Asia. As I mean, you have been playing with, uh, also you've been performing music by Chinese composers, for example, and that's true. Eastern composers. And so you can really hear that. Yes. <laughs> and that <questions> com <laughs> question comes up. Um, in some cases, it can be, you know, deliberate that it's um, building upon a tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't done that very much. I have had some projects uh, which is uh, clearly building on um, Norwegian tradition in music. But um, being out in festivals and doing contemporary music, Mm, it's not a question that usually uh, rises, no. Not among uh, critics or uh, people in the audience. That comes up a lot. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. I just came, I just remember something, if I okay. can interrupt you. Of but, course, because of course. It was the first time I had a, a large piece performed abroad. This was in, I think it was in 97 or 98, 1998. I think it was in Appeldoorn in the Netherlands. I worked with the Sifonetta there, and uh, it was all about um, uh, waves in different forms, as so sound waves uh -huh. or um, or also uh, waves uh, in in water and in air. And I made a piece upon that, and I had uh, made some analysis of uh, of the deepest tone on the saxophone. You know, something called a spectrum analysis, where you look at all the small parts that uh, the sound, the characteristic sound of the instrument is built upon. Mm -hmm. So it was lo like looking on uh, through a microscope on the sound of a saxophone. And then I made a piece after that, because all these small parts, they are waves that are on top of each other. And that's why you hear something as uh, a characteristic sound. That's why you hear the, the difference between a saxophone and a violin. Right. All the small wavelengths that are operating at the same time. So for me, it was almost like a scientific work, and mm. uh, and it was sounding sounding some somewhere around uh, the Greek composer Yannis Sinakis, maybe, but not as good, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> then, <laughs> then um, I read the critic that was written after that, mm. and and that was the first time I was met by this. Um, this piece was about. Uh, icebergs that collided in the Arctic and uh, you could almost imagine the ice bears walking on the, <laughs> on the tundra and things like that, you know. That's fantastic. And 
Mm. There was no, no words about that in the mm. program, and that was absolutely not my intention. But that was the first time I was met by this Nordic, you know, interpretation. Right. It's <laughs> really funny. So after that, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's coming back in different forms. Yes. <laughs> Whenever I do something. Exactly. But do you think like, that it, it could actually be like the program notes were written afterwards? Do you think the music could fit that imaginary of the Arctic? Yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Now I, I think it's really funny and, and it could absolutely fit because, okay, you can listen to the piece and it could sound like icebergs uh, interacting or something. It's very, it sounds quite cold. Yeah. And that is, that is interesting mm. because that is, a, that's the thing that uh, occurs, so reoccurs. Mm. Uh, why music is labeled as, as cold? It's labeled romantic or distant or cold or mm. desolate or, uh, or even somehow meditative. In Norwegian jazz music, you have the expression fjellias, mountain yes. jazz, for example, mm. which um, uh, which immediately draws our mind on on a lot of uh, fantastic recordings on ECM, where Norwegian mm. musicians have been uh, recorded for for decades yes. uh, with a lot of reverb and something that is very far from the boiling uh, bop music of the 60s and, uh, and 70s and on. Uh, so you have this like distance and uh, and landscapes and and coldness often mm. associated around Nordic music. That's a very good keyword, actually, coldness. But like, why? Yeah, exactly. Why? <laughs> uh, do you think it's possible? Um, just as we are here, and just to use an example using your voice, what how like a cold sound would be in the voice as opposed to a warm sound. Is it possible? Um, <laughs> or is it? <laughs> <clears throat> no, it would be something really straight, I think, without vibrato on it mm. and uh, and using a thin voice. Mm. That, uh, oh, it's easier for me to imagine this kind of sound if I have a string orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, well, I also use my voices for to improvise, but... Um, But that Amazing. is almost like a cliche because it's oh. uh, it's a shriek and it's yeah. uh, it gives you chills and it's it really uh, does. Or horrible to listen to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I think it's more uh, it, it's more rooted, like like uh, really rooted in um, in how people think about Nordic mm. music, like um, where you have uh, also where it's not not sounds like imitating uh, anxiety or. Uh, loneliness or coldness but the sounds that emotionally um, uh, give something to that feeling hmm. and, really and to that you, you could also have like a melodic landscape that is moving very slowly for example in yeah. it's like up yeah. in the in the really in, in the north in the arctic the, the, i mean we're talking about ice here but it is something about even that that uh, well you call it shriek i will call it the voice it was uh, it was really it does immediately kind of tap into that um, view, you know, of having the nature just moving its own pace at its own way. You cannot actually interfere with it. And I think that what is really fascinating is to, you you have this kind of a sense of almost loneliness. I think people often label also Nordic sound because it's just so cold, it's north, it's far away. But I think it also can be quite um, intimate in many ways and very honest very raw, very um, clear in many ways. I mean, would you ag agree with that or do you think something else? Yeah, because we are so few people also. Yeah. 
And uh, we are not uh, a culture nation for hundreds of years, like mm. France or, or even Sweden. Yeah. So we say things, but we don't... Um, we don't write the book everything every time we we want to say something. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. I, I like that what you say about this. It, the Nordic uh, expression in music can be can be clear or uh, or even uh, strong or um, uh, intimate because it's uh, it's very often to to the point. Yes. Can I say that? I agree. <laughs> I mean, <Yes>. even <laughs> even in making complex contemporary music, it's uh, mm. it's. I think it's often a very clear expression in uh, in what has been made in the, the Nordic uh, in the Nordic countries and especially also mm. Norway. I'm of course thinking a lot about Arne Norén when I say mm. this. Yes, fantastic Norwegian composer, the most famous composer after Grieg in Norway, mm-hmm. and uh, he has some really amazing orchestra works. And uh, to me, that. That is something that comes to my mind when I hear the words that people associate with Nordic music, and it's still it's still full of uh, warmth and directness and uh, and uh, comfort, actually. Yes. yes, I agree so much. And Andre Nurami had such a fantastic soundscape. You know that the world of his music was just absolutely incredible and. I the one word actually which maybe sounds a bit strange to um, put in connection with this music, but for me it was always very playful, and particularly this one piece that I played quite a lot is the Partita for Paul, and it's um, five movements based off five paintings by Paul Klee, and each of them have such a distinct voice, and he was definitely not afraid of kind of mixing between the kind of grotesque. And the most like ethereal beauty, like that mix, I think is also really interesting. And and I'm not sure whether you can correct me, Hermia, but I wasn't he one of the first Norwegian composer who used also electronics in his music to combine it. Mm. It know? was a piece called Epitaphio, yeah. which was written in the sixties, where he combined electronic tape, mm. uh, which was pre-recorded, and then he had an orchestra play along with that, and uh, it was. Uh, it was very uh, forward thinking, but uh, you could see that uh, that w- that was a, a trend that was already developing in in Europe also then. So he wasn't alone about it. But in Norway, mm. to introduce that kind of contemporary music, uh, they also called him, uh, you know, uh, nicknames in Norway because he was uh, he was so avant garde compared to <laughs> to the music that they had heard before. But he became um, he became a front figure figure for uh, the whole scene. It was also very uh, good at um, uh, communicating about his music and other people's music as well. Right. But would you say that he would be, would you call him like a Nordic kind of uh, representative of the sound of the North or not so much? Yeah, because we started there when we when we spoke about Arne Nurem mm-hmm. there. And that's, it's so difficult because as you say, it's uh, it's all the other things that aren't, typically heard when you mention Nordic music, the playfulness and the warmth and the, and, and the groundedness, which is more uh, uh, labile, what is that? No. And the ground and the groundedness, which is more mm. unstable or yeah, it, it has uh, so much that contradicts our little 
theory about music being Nordic and that <laughs> Arne Nordin can represent that. But, but yeah. still, it's the first name that comes to my mind when I think about Nordic contemporary mm-hmm. music, composed music. And I think that's so important to to hear your thoughts about this, because I think in general, when, I mean, if you are abroad and you think about, oh, Norway, Scandinavia, uh, well, Norway, Edward Gidding, you know, you have, maybe they have heard about others after that, but it's so much the kind of national romantic sound world that is associated with the identity of the country. Mm, and which is drawing on the yeah, folk culture. Exactly. So, but it's also, there's so much more to showcase and so much more to explore. And that's also why it's so interesting to hear all this, um, you know, in a way, different depth, which we also can uh, show upon. And that's also something I think quite a lot about as a performer. It's very important. It's uh, to showcase it, to be, uh, you also represent our time at the same time, not only the history. That's also important. And good. Yeah. It's a task uh, that classical musicians pick up on. The brave ones do yeah. that. <laughs> so <laughs> well, you do it very well. You so definitely be warned. Really good that you do that. And, and, uh, and I, we, need to, we need to redefine what is connected to, uh, to the terms that we are talking about, the Nordic terms and our identity. It mm-hmm. needs to be redefined all the time. We are changing. We are a part of the world as well, more yeah. and more. And uh, we have to take in what, uh, what the rest of the world does to us. And we, we also... Uh, need artistic expressions to reflect upon that not only being nostalgic but we need some some uh, some good art that uh, that also lifts up dark spaces and uh, criticizes things that we take for granted yes and we need also art that is beautiful in new ways that doesn't uh, play on cliches mm-hmm. And on all those uh, all all those parts and all those tasks that new music can feel that it's so meaningful and uh, we we actually uh, when we are out there playing music and composing music we we can feel that we are changing something in the good days we can feel that <laughs> that's really worth it and it's so much struggle to to try to be there and we fail all the time but we we still, we really we really feel that it's worth it oh, also, I agree <laughs> so much and I think music and and the way it communicates is one of the most powerful things there is. And being able to use it as a communication tool, I think is really, really important. At the same time, I sometimes I wonder also for myself, like, is it important to have a message behind or could it just be music for music's sake, meaning more emotional? You need to have a reflection on your position and what you want to say. And that is behind what you are doing. If you, for example, think that it's not enough only to play nostalgic music that uh, that belongs to the past. So if you don't reflect upon that, you might do that because that's also what people often require from you. Mm-hmm. They want something. But if you, um, if you don't have your own inner uh, motivation, then it's so easy to just follow what people expect. And then you aren't changing anything. You're just being good at what you do and you're... And Something we call in uh, we call in Norwegian we call it flink, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which can be a which can be a yes, you know, not flink because it's not changing anything. But the reason I want to work with artists because I want to make something new. I couldn't be an artist uh, unless I could do my own things and uh, and make something which is completely new mm. and try and try. <laughs> you know exactly, and you do so amazingly. I mean, it's so fascinating to. 
uh, every time I see you doing something, I'm cu obviously curious because I never know where you, which direction you're going in. And I think that's also so incredibly important as an artist to not become um, predictable, to be able to actually be um, constantly curious and both for yourself, but also, you know, make that um, um, setting for your audiences as well. I, I read somewhere um, that it was said about your musicianship that it's um, about natural expression and human truth. Um, and I was just wondering, what do you mean by human truth, expressing human truth? Can you say something about that? Hmm. <laughs> I wonder what context that yeah. is. But, uh, Maybe yeah, actually what is, me, what yeah. is true, you know? Yeah, yeah art can question reality and, uh, and truth because because there are no clear answers. I'm, I'm also working with politics. That is much easier because it's so clear. <laughs> you just know what's right and wrong I mean, in many cases, but in, in art, you don't know. So we have to bring up the ambiguity in the art that we make. We have to make art, which asks questions. And this is a quote by Arne Nurem, actually. We have, there's the, um, uh, the thing is to make good questions, not to make good answers when you make art. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that is so nice. And yeah. if you combine that, which I love that you bring up the word curiosity. Yeah, and uh, you also said playfulness earlier, connected to Arne Nguyen's music. And if you keep that, if you, um, if you check with yourself that you remain some of the childish uh, curiosity and openness to the world, mm -hmm. uh, I think you are much closer to what, uh, to what I might have uh, labeled as the human truth or, uh, or the human nature, which is uh, some searching for uh, the known in the unknown, that you want to be seen by your surroundings, but still that you are uh, expansive and that you want to go on into new fields because uh, yeah, so we are made that way. We want to explore. We are explorers. <laughs> and that yes, is also typical true. Nordic, isn't it? <laughs> but all, everyone is. Yeah. If uh, if we have the freedom to to do that, we we go we go there. We go into the new. I really love that as a definition, part of the definition of what Nordic is to actually be explorers. I think that's excellent. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> but I have I find it so fascinating also to um, when I hear your voice because it's not. I mean, particularly singers, you always know that they are very. I mean, I'm talking in the very general senses, but they are usually quite concerned about making it sound very beautiful and not um, ruin it or make it um, anyway bad. But I find it actually such an incredible and powerful expression that you are not afraid of making it very raw and real and really like bending the technical abilities to see what's possible. And do you think that's an important part of your um, um, artistry to explore with your voice? Hmm. Oh, there, there's a good place for the word explore. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yes, because um, half uh, my uh, music making is about improvising and my voice is my main instrument. <laughs> and uh, by exploring what the voice can do, I also uh, get inspired to to write in certain ways. I think it, uh, it builds upon each other, those two things, to write music on one hand and then to improvise. Uh, and the improvisation has also um, uh, yeah, brought me to places where I'm finding myself on stage in front of people, uh, many, you know, across the earth. So it's not only something I do in my own room no, no, no. To, to play with music, but <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
yeah, got me somewhere as well. Uh, I feel that I'm lucky because I'm I'm not a trained uh, classical singer at all, but uh, I'm very concerned about technique and uh, by expanding my voice, uh, I build an instrument that, that is strong and flexible. And I can do a lot of things with it, but I can't uh, sing a classical uh, opera song without, uh, you know, sounding awful. <laughs> because that is not my skill. I haven't practiced that. But what what I need my voice to be, um, that is something that I spend a lot of time with, and, uh, and I've found ways to use my voice that uh, makes me able to express music in a way that I like, and that is sometimes brutal and it's with contrasts so uh, it's noise next to beauty and uh, and huge uh, huge scenarios where i'm also using uh, electronics making an orchestra just uh, just building up uh, from scratch with my own voice as the sound source that's amazing it's really i wonder though i mean as a I mean, I, I don't do improvisation myself and uh, you should. You know, maybe maybe <laughs> I get inspired now. Maybe I should try that. But uh, the one thing that I always feel a bit, um, I suppose, scared about is just being, like you say, you have tons of people in front of you. You're alone on stage. And what do you do? Like what comes out? Do you have already like a kind of um, an idea of the form of you want to go through or is it completely open like, how do you go about it? In the last 15 years, uh, it's completely open. When I do a solo concert with my voice or whatever instruments I bring along, with, which is often live electronics. And also when I play with uh, my group Spunk, which consists of four women, it's completely open. We have a 25 years anniversary this year. So I've been going on for that long. I also think it, if it ha hadn't been for Spunk, I haven't been the performer like that because it's a it was a start starting point for all of us and it expanded and when i do solo concerts i uh, mentally prepare that is the most important thing i can do yeah, yeah but how do you focus, mentally to oh, yeah. focus on um on the situation um i imagine uh, the people in the room and the hall and uh, and my equipment. Often I have a table with equipment and some controllers and, and the situation. So um, so when I enter the stage, I'm like super, super, super concentrated. And I, I can look at the audience, but I don't see them. Mm. Like I'm, I mean, it must be the same if you're going <laughs> to play a really difficult classical piece in front of the audience. So I'm doing the same kind of preparation and mm. uh, visualizing the situation. Right. And very often I can focus on how to start, like the first impulse. What is that? Okay. Yeah. And that is a millisecond and that is planned. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and <laughs> and then if I do that, yeah. if I do that, if I manage, yeah. and then I feel safe. I see. And then and you then have the uh, room yeah. for yourself. So then yeah. I feel like everything is possible. When I'm in a situation like that, I'm so alert. So I feel like a fly where uh, time is... Uh, operating differently than in real life that you can do so many things within a millisecond and yeah all the choices are just lying in front of me and I can just pick from the best choices all the time and I get ideas constantly so afterwards I'm completely exhausted it's like running a marathon I imagine <laughs> wow that's absolutely incredible it's, like it's a mental process yeah. as well as a physical process yeah but uh, but uh, how amazing to be living out in nature do you think that's also 
helps to both compose and be artistic, to be like in the element of nature. I'm addicted to being in nature and I couldn't live without it. And I, I had used to live in the city center when I was a student, but I gave up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very impractical to move out. It wasn't because of children or, or anything, but mm. just to get some, some fresh air and <laughs> some trees around me again. And uh, to get, yeah. you know how it is, you're born in nature. But I'm born in city, but I always like mm. to go hiking. So we do that my, with my family. We go hiking Every vacation, every time school is out, we go hiking somewhere. <laughs> so my kids think it's normal. Like, yeah. Where are we going this time? Now we now this time we go to Rondone. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> see hiking all, this, all this Norwegian huts. You know, we have this fantastic tourist organization in Norway where, yeah. where you can uh, be a member and then you can have a key to, to different huts that you can come and live with. It's all about trust. It really works. It's so nice. And you can explore the whole of Norway. So we're doing that <laughs> in every vacation. Fantastic. <laughs> but also we live then in Svartskog, which is quite yeah. near Oslo. But uh, there I can have a home studio without mm. being afraid of disturbing neighbors and uh, access to the forest all the time. So I'm very happy to live there. Yeah. I think the connection to nature is, I think, one of the most vital things there is. And not only because nature is important in itself, but it's something about the effect it has on you and um, particularly I mean I, I grew up in Valdres you know near Jotunheimen and all the you know the really really big uh, mountains and the one thing that is so addictive about it is just that it makes you see the world right again particularly when you are in the traveling a lot or being constantly in you know well not nowadays but there used to be like you know you're always in the air or meeting people there's always sounds there's um and not necessarily good sound there's a sound disturbance more of the time and just sound yeah, that you I'm, haven't asked for exactly and you can't actually sometimes even find quiet and that's where you know the nature part is so fantastic and you really feel like okay i'm centered again i know what really matters <laughs> and there's something about the effect that nature has it's a source and a force that is so massive and so you know they're forever we're just here for a very short time <laughs> and uh, it's a good reminder i find oh that is so, so true i have it exactly the same mm. and because norway has so much nature and so few people a lot of us experience that not all and i'm not saying that everyone should either but it's a lot of us who experience that relationship to nature and that is also perhaps why uh, we are affected by it in making art, either mm -hmm. we want it or not, because it becomes an important part of our life. Yeah. And art should mirror all parts of life. So it's, it's in there, even though you don't plan it, I think. I love but that, it's interesting uh, if uh, people can pick that up or not. Yeah. I don't know if, it's, if you can actually hear it or not, but, or if you just, you know, if you just um, stick your own interpretation of, uh, of it. Only, on the expectance <laughs> of it. <laughs> but it's so subjective though, isn't it? Like what the reference you have. And I guess maybe in many ways when we speak about um, kind of trying to figure out what is the Nordic um, sound, if there, if there even is one. But uh, uh, when people also at the same time kind of think that, oh, yes, you're from the north, you are, you know, like we spoke about earlier, you automatically then link the music to certain pictures in mind. Hmm. But... Um, but that is not necessarily wrong either. No, it's not necessarily wrong. And we are a little bit afraid of it being from Norway. Mm -hmm. When we are making art that we don't want to do that too much because it, for us, it can seem like a cliche. 
It was interesting because it was there was a German film team who made a documentary about me some years ago, and they were filming everywhere. They came to my house and they they went on tour with me with, for some projects. It was it was quite nice. So that yeah. we got good friends. It's a, the director, his name is Ingo Biermann, and. Uh, and he puts in a lot of nature poses in the film, you know. We wouldn't do that if we, if we no. had made it in Norway. No. <laughs> right. You know, some, some parts yeah. where, um, where my music was, uh, was in foreground and uh, we switched from uh, the stage and then they had filmed a lot of landscapes in Norway, some mountains and fjords, and, you know, mm-hmm. put typically in Norwegian <laughs> yeah. nature uh, sort of cliches. Yeah. But, but it was beautiful. And uh, it suited my music, I must say. <laughs> I was just going to ask, actually, I was a bit curious to know, because, uh, you know, that's the really, that's a great thing about that they can only enhance what you are trying to express anyways. But it's, um, I just think it's very interesting to see how people react to it. You know, sometimes you are very often, you know, seeing the cliches, um, you know, the mountain and the fjords and the, and you know, someone in Buenod. Yeah, and someone in <laughs> You know no. exactly what I mean when yeah. you say that, right? Yes. I don't know if people who listen to this know what we mean, but if you if you Google Norwegian postcards, for example, <laughs> then you can see a lot of that. But I think actually what you talk about, the, the loaded silence, that's something sometimes too, you know, the, the, whether it's an intermission or if it's a format or whatever it might be, that just that kind of silence can be just as powerful as what you're actually saying around it. And I mm. think also... It's a bit funny, isn't it, today's world that where do you actually find silence? I mean, and in music, where do you find the silence? Hmm. Yeah, you have to put the silence in there as well as the sounding objects, equally important. And I suppose silence doesn't always have to be no sign, but uh, sound, I mean, but silence can also be just calm, you know, something tranquil, something very, um, not too much effort in, Mm -hmm. in a way. It can also be uh, accepting your surrounding. Mm. So if you hear a uh, sea playing out there, then it's uh, then it's okay. It's a part of that surrounding that you are in. You know, here we are touching John Cage's theories a lot mm. that uh, there is no absolute silence. You always hear something, yeah. and, and that is of course true. Uh, but when we have unwanted uh, sound or music, then. Uh, yeah, that is silence's biggest enemy. <laughs> if you want to express something with sound, which mm. is your work, yeah. then unwanted sound in collision with that can be very uh, disturbing. And it's hard to find room that rooms that are quiet enough, actually, today. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, I you already touched a little bit upon how you go about when you improvise, but I'm really curious to know how do you, like you, you compose a piece, how do you go about it? Do you get an idea first or a theme, a melody or no melody? Or is it more like kind of more sound effects? Like, how do you go about it? Hmm. Yeah, every piece has its own uh, story. And uh, it feels like I'm inventing the wheel every time. <laughs> so it's so difficult. Some composers make tools that they can use again and again. But I don't do that. Some pieces are related, but... Uh, Oh, really, it's uh, it's a struggle. <laughs> and uh, uh, when I see a piece growing, it starts it starts with an idea, yes, 
and the idea can be uh, an abstract impulse hmm. or the idea can be uh, is something that is written an artwork it can be uh, a theme an existing uh, musical theme for example it can be a phrase from Beethoven or it can be a folk music phrase if that is the case but mm. often it's more an abstract idea that I start from scratch with the last piece I made now uh, was for Trondheim Solistene and I started with um, <laughs> I started with a melody that I had uh, as I imagined making huge constructions that uh, was uh, that this is difficult to explain. Yes. You make something, but that it's falling apart. It's not just falling apart, but it's, it was, I wanted them to drown <laughs> these constructions. So I made uh, beautiful constructions with music mm. for string orchestras. It could sound like, it could sound vivid and alive and vital and, yeah. and interesting and all that. And then, uh, and then I, May I drowned it <laughs> like practically okay. Okay. I drowned my own material <laughs> and um, and the piece is about uh, like uh, the sinking feeling mm. when you are so for me I'm I'm so connected to nature so I'm I have this uh, anxiety for what is happening to it mm. and uh, it was connected to that so you have something and you're afraid of losing it and you're also looking at it dissolve. Mm. So I was uh, bringing my material down <laughs> in, may, in many ways and, <laughs> and I built a piece upon the, um, the result. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know yeah. if it makes sense. It's so abstract. <laughs> but that mm. became the piece. And mm. when I work with the piece, I don't start in the first bar and then, you know, write myself through it, but I start uh, in many places at the same time and it grows up slowly the piece grows up mm. from from whatever i have and and i uh, i'm very aware of the balance in the piece if i change a lot in that section then that has consequences for for what i do later on in another section so it's always this like going in detail and then looking from above again what do you have and i run it through my head mm. in time quite a lot during the process, so I know what it feels like, how the time span feels like for the audience. Right. Wow, that, that's important, I think. So it's kind of like a self-editing as you go. Mm. <laughs> but um, but do you ever feel, now the piece is done, I am happy with how it is, or is it constant changes? It's not very often I'm very happy about the piece when I'm done, because I feel, oh, that could be better, and I'm very self-critical. But this piece now, um, I got it recorded. They are making a record with it oh, now in the Corona time. Yeah. And I, I didn't know about it. I wasn't involved. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's a gift and I'm so happy for it. And I listened to it. So they recorded that piece and an, an older piece that I had made for, for a string orchestra. Not them, but another good orchestra. But they recorded both pieces and it sounds... It sounds really good. It makes me proud. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so happy to say that because yeah. it's not that often you get you get to say that, like, I made this, yeah. you know, and I played so well. <laughs> it's but so you nice. should be proud. You make fantastic music. <laughs> but oh. then, yeah, hopefully you can listen to it in not very long. I think the release concert is already in November, December. Oh, fantastic. I really look forward to that. <laughs> but actually, I want to ask you, Do this was for string orchestra. Mm. Do you have like a preferred kind of instrument you write for 
Mm. I'm very fond of strings. Mm. Also uh, because I'm uh, playing a little violin myself, just amateur, improvising folk music. Uh, I know the instrument well, so yeah. I have a physical relationship to to that. <laughs> that makes <laughs> also a big the cello difference. and the viola and the <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then I've written a lot for accordion because I'm married to a fantastic accordion player. So it's been some pieces for him as well, <laughs> but not that cool. many. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually, I think strings are on the on the top of my wish list. Uh, yeah. Like, in, in choir, of course, and voices. I've written a lot of pieces for. Uh, the Norske Jantegård, the Norwegian Girls' Choir. Mm. I've written four pieces for them now. Wow, fantastic. And also uh, for the singer Marianne Beate Kjelland. I've worked with a lot, written several pieces, a song cycle for her and uh, the Engegård Quartet once. It's an hour-long song cycle. Amazing. And that was yeah. uh, very, uh, very surplus to work with her and, and those musicians. And, and to write for voice also comes easy to me. Yeah. Yes, that I can believe. And... I think one of the, um, the last times I saw you was actually at the, it was an award ceremony at the Music for Prison and it was performed a piece that was also by um, Ghost Choir. Was mm. that the piece that you had written? The yeah, last it was one. a fragment yeah. for uh, fragment, from yeah. one of the last ones. It was really <laughs> yeah, fantastic. From the last yeah, one, but it was fantastic with all the layers and it was so beautiful and very harmonious, I thought. The, very high, mm. the harm, harmonies were very... Um, appealing and i thought i was uh, speaking of being uh, uh, surprised by your works because sometimes i kind of i've gotten to know you also for being a bit pushing the envelope a little bit in in all kinds of directions which is very very exciting and i thought wow this is also just another example of that you are constantly surprising and uh, i think that's really fascinating to and fantastic to be able to to see well, thank you i've also recorded a big work by me Mm. And uh, another Norwegian composer, Marcus Bess. Mm. It's a piece called Asylus, which is for them and uh, Marianne Beate Kjelland together. <laughs> Fantastic. So it's possible oh. to listen to this also in a good recording. Well, add the, <laughs> add the vlog. Okay, there's one thing I uh, would like to ask you, which I'm not sure whether you would like that I ask, but I will anyways mm. ask it. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, being female composer and... Uh, do you think it's still important to be labeled female composer or would you rather just be composer and let the work stand by themselves? Uh, I'd rather be labeled a, a composer, mm. but uh, I want people to know that I am a female composer also. But it's not uh, it's not about that, you mm. know, the work. <laughs> no. <laughs> then I'm more, mm. conf uh, so more okay with being called a Norwegian composer. <laughs> <laughs> So not Norwegian female composer, just Norwegian composer. No, that composer. would be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is simple. It, yeah, everyone knows that there's so few female composers, but they're getting more. Yes, as they should. But I sometimes wonder if, you know, it doesn't always help so much to, to if you're put into that box and then why not just let the quality speak for itself? And then it doesn't really matter in the end of the day. But of course, that's easy to say when a lot of people have taken that fight before us. Oh, you yes. Know? It's too easy to say that. Mm. No, but as we, uh, we spoke about, Maya, it's very, it's quite hard to define exactly what the Nordic sound is, um, if it's even is possible. But there is a lot of words that does help a bit. And I think we landed on um, exploring um, nature, silence, playfulness, all of these things. Is there something else that you would add to it? Hmm. 
there's some loneliness in there too, mm. that we are so isolated, you know, that we are so few people. But I am yeah, the, the not, meeting no. between the the one human and the big nature. <laughs> There's something in there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And distant, but not cold. No, right. I agree. <laughs> there we have it. <laughs> I just want to say an enormous, huge thank you to you, Maya, for uh, being here today and for sharing your thoughts about the topic of what the Nordic sound is. It's been really enlightening and... I feel really inspired. So thank you so much. Thank you, Elberg. Thank you so much for joining me for The Nordics Unveiled. My name is Elberg Hemsing, and I hope you will continue following my next episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The music in the introduction is from Edvard Grieg's Violin Sonata in G Major, Opus 13, with myself on violin and pianist Simon Trapczewski, released on BIS Records.